Luke 24, 25 through 32. This is God's word. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, O slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near the village where they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in, and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? May God bless to us the reading and hearing and preaching of His Word. By now you know we're beginning a new sermon series this Sunday and the next couple of Sundays focusing on the Protestant Reformation. By by now you know you've sensed a theme in in this this service on the Scriptures, the Bible. 500 years ago, October 31st, fifteen. 17, Luther did nail those 95 theses to the castle church door that that changed, well, everything in a very real sense. We remember, we celebrate the Protestant Reformation. And let's get right to the heart of it. The Protestant Reformation is a recovery. It's a rediscovery of all the things, really, that matter most. The Bible. The church, the body of Christ, marriage, family life, work life, all flows out of this rediscovery of God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. And we'll be covering a number of things over the coming weeks that come out of the Reformation, but more importantly, come out of the Bible, the Word of God. Now imagine for a moment... By the way, this is not going to be a history lesson, although there's nothing wrong with a history lesson. Our faith is rooted in history. I hope you love history. But let's be sure we root this in God's Word. But imagine, if you will, for a few minutes, no such thing as a denomination. No such thing as, now, no snickering. No such thing as a Baptist. No snickering. No such thing as a Methodist. No such thing as an Episcopalian. No such thing as a Congregationalist. No such thing as a a Presbyterian. There's one church. And it's been that way for generations. There's one option. And it's right down the street. On Sundays, we get up with our families and we walk down the street or we ride our horse or we get in our buggy or our carriage or our cart and we all go to the church, the one church. 
just like our parents did, just like their parents did, and just like their parents did. There's only one option. And this church may very well be a big, beautiful edifice with stained glass windows that depict the stories of the Bible. It may be a smaller, simpler affair, but when we walk in, we notice a couple of things. There's no chairs and no pews. There's no place to sit at all. We walk in. Maybe we brought a stool with us for our wife and the kids probably sit on the floor. There's no place to sit. But our eyes are drawn to the front. And we notice again a couple of things. There's a, an altar at the front. And there's the, the priest. We know the priest. We've been in on a number of occasions to meet with the priest, to confess our sins. He's given us some penance to work off the penalty for our sins, and he's a genuinely nice guy. And he's got his back to us. And he's lifting up the chalice, and he's speaking a language we don't understand. In fact, we probably don't even know how to read ourselves. He's lifting up a chalice, and he's saying something in some kind of language. We have no idea what he's talking about. It's Latin, but we know that somehow it's good for us. And he's lifting it up with his back to us. And something mysterious is, is going on. And we have been taught our whole lives, this has been drilled into us, do your best and God will give you grace. Do your best and God hopefully will turn and respond to you and, and, and pay attention to you. Go on a pilgrimage. Give more money. Confess your sins. Come to the Mass where the chalice is lifted up. Do your best. And God will respond to you, hopefully. And then one Sunday. Then one Sunday, somebody stands up in the front and he opens the Bible. You're, you're generally familiar with the Bible. You, you don't, it's, again, it's in Latin. You can't read it. You're not sure at all what it means. You haven't heard really very many sermons and it was hard to understand them. But suddenly the Bible is opened and the person up front begins to read the Bible in a language that you can understand. And you've never heard that before in your life. This is the experience of hundreds and hundreds of people during the Reformation. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that in my language. And you hear something read from the front like this. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. The just shall live by faith. And the preacher, the pastor, goes on to explain the message of the gospel, and you've never heard it before. You are justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. 
Thus begins the Protestant Reformation. Thus begins the rediscovery. Thus begins the recovery of the Bible, of the Gospel. But notice, I hope you've noticed in the service, notice here that it begins by opening this. What originally got the first reformers, primarily Martin Luther, into trouble was not that we're saved or justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was not what he thought about marriage or the church. These things would eventually get him into trouble. But the first thing that got him in trouble is he opened this, translated it in the language that people could understand, and preached the gospel. But it began with this. It began by opening this. Now think of Highlands, or if you're visiting from another church, your church, or if you've been visiting Highlands for a little while. Think, think of Highlands. Why do we have this pulpit and this Bible? Why do we teach Bible studies and focus on studying the Bible in women's ministry and men's ministry and small groups and Bible studies and our youth ministries and our Sunday school classes throughout the church? Why? We can do a lot of things, and we can do a lot of good things. If we lose the Bible, none of it's worth it. If we lose the gospel, it's meaningless. We have to keep coming back and keep coming back to the Bible. The Bible must be central. And this, is, this, this wonderful passage, familiar to many of you, this wonderful passage tells us why. Why should the Bible be central? Why should we read the Bible? Why is the Bible so important? This passage tells us. This passage tells us. Very simply, in a straightforward way, why are we to read the Bible? How are we to read the Bible? And what happens when we do? Why are we to read the Bible? How are we to read the Bible? And what happens? What happens when we read the Bible? Why read the Bible? Uh, little background here. Uh, these two disciples are walking back from Jerusalem. They have witnessed. They've been around. They know about the, the crucifixion. And they're discouraged. They're disappointed. They're sorrowful. They're, they're puzzled. They're coming back from Jerusalem, back to Emmaus. And they're downcast. We thought Jesus was the answer. We had placed so much hope in Him. We thought He was going to bring a, a new exodus, a, a, a freedom, a rescue, throw off the power of the, the Romans. We had... So many hopes for him. What do we do now? And Jesus comes along and begins walking with them. And in this fascinating passage, they don't recognize him. And Jesus comes walking along, the, the resurrected Jesus, walking along to the road uh, to Emmaus uh, with these disciples. And they don't recognize him. And they start saying, you know, you, know, you know, have you heard the news about Jesus, about the Messiah, or what happened? And, 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 and Jesus says, what news? And they say to him, where have you been? 
and they convey their, their discouragement. And how does Jesus respond? This is, this is big. No, notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't respond, first of all, by saying, it's going to be okay and let me encourage you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will work out. His response is, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus immediately says, and, and this, is, this, is, this, this kind of language, all the prophets have spoken, this is a, a, a pointing to the Bible, to the Old Testament, to their Bible, the Old Testament. Jesus is essentially saying to them, have you read your Bibles? He's saying, have you read your Bibles? Don't be foolish. Uh, One commentator puts it this way, for for Luke's readers, us, this is a call to believe and not to slip into the fog in which these two disciples are currently in. They They must believe all the prophets have spoken in what Christians now call the Old Testament, their Bible. Jesus is saying, in the midst of all this, in in the midst of your discouragement and being puzzled and being confused, have you read your Bibles? Go to your Bibles. Go to your Bibles. It's a very simple message that Jesus begins with. Go to the Bible. Go to your Bible. Um... As many of you know, uh, we had the, the privilege of, of going to Germany and spending a good amount of time there this summer on sabbatical and visiting Reformation sites and spending lots of time with uh, the, some, some German folk we know there and we were in and out of their homes and it was an incredible uh, experience. And our first day there, I'll I'll never forget, they picked us up from the airport, took us home, and had us over for dinner. And when you go to dinner, if you ever go there, um, word to the wise, if you ever go to dinner or lunch or anybody's house in Germany, be sure to take a gift. There are flower shops everywhere. Just stop by, get some flowers, be sure to take some flowers. Or some kind of gift if you're going to a meal in somebody's home. So we did that, and we uh, walked into the home, nice, nice home, nice area, very German, very neat, very tidy, flowers everywhere, and they were so kind and so hospitable, and of course we had Wurst, potatoes, cabbage, and I'll just say this anywhere. It's, anyway, it's great to be a Presbyterian. If you like beer, Germany is the place to go. Beer is everywhere. Every kind of beer you can think of in every size. And they were so kind and it was so wonderful. But I will, I will never forget at right here, at the top of my plate... I actually brought it. You, you, can't, you can't see it. You can, um, you can come up and see it at the end here. At the head of my plate, a first night in Germany, was this. Uh, this is a, a, um, a Playmobil figure of Martin Luther <laughs> holding out a Bible. And it was right there. And they were so kind. 
I came to find out. Some people doubt me. Look it up. Don't look it up right now, but do look it up. This Playmobil figure made in Germany is the fastest-selling, best-selling Playmobil figure in history. And I, I, I personally find it fascinating, the, the, the fastest-selling, greatest-selling Playmobil figure in history. He's holding out a Bible. God works in strange ways. Uh, They're very easy to get. You can find them everywhere. Jesus is saying, first, read your Bibles. Don't be foolish. Uh, Another reformer, an English reformer, Thomas Cranmer, once put it this way in a prayer. Blessed Lord who has caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for, for our learning, grant that we may hear them and then read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. It's a wonderful way to put reading the Bible. Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us, to show us how. How we should read the Bible. How we, how we should teach the Bible. In fact, how we should preach the Bible. He doesn't just say, read your Bibles. He, right then and there, on the road to Emmaus, leads a Bible study. How would you like to be in a Bible study with Jesus? They were. They still don't recognize him. But he leads a Bible study. How does he do it? This is big. How does he do it? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He walks through the narrative, the story that, that flows out of and is taught in the Bible. He does, an, in, in, in more technical terms, expository, a systematic study through the Bible with these two disciples. If Jesus does it, if Jesus does it, so should we. There's a model right here. Uh, one commentator says, We should understand this not as a select number of proof texts, but rather showing that throughout the whole Old Testament, a consistent divine purpose is being worked out. Maybe you've heard the term associated with the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, or or scripture alone. That does not mean my Bible and me is all I need. That means the Bible is my ultimate authority. The Bible stands ahead of, above, popes and councils and people with strong personalities and committees. Fill in the blank. The Bible is my authority. It's what I trust. If you're a teacher of the Bible, if you're a pastor, if you're a ruling elder, if you're a professor, if you're just a plain old member of the congregation, I think that's all of us, Jesus is telling us to read through and study through and work our way through the Bible. And he's providing the example here. Here is 
the model. Why do we have a pulpit here? Why, why is the pulpit up here and the table there? Maybe you've been to other churches where you walk in and the table, which is an altar, is up here. Because the Word comes first over the table of the Lord's Supper. The proclamation, the reading, the praying, the singing of the Word comes first from here, right at the center of the sanctuary. It begins here. With God's Word. Why do we, you, you've noticed in our services, we read from the Old Testament the New Testament. Our prayers are often full of the Bible. Our music is full of the Bible. Our calls to worship are from the Bible. We're following Jesus here. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Um, maybe you've seen the, the poster and that photograph that's in our poster for this series. Um, I, I took that photograph in the Berlin Cathedral, which is in downtown Berlin. And you walk up to the second floor and there's all these base reliefs of reformers. And these statues of, of, of reformers. And we went to a worship service there. It's fascinating. If you ever go, go. You can sit in the English section and hear it in English or you can hear it in German if you really want to branch out. But you sit there and you look up and the Protestant reformers... Zwingli and Calvin and Luther and Melanchthon are, they're, they're, uh, as you're sitting there worshiping, they're, they're up there as statues and they're looking down at you and they're pointing at books. Quite an experience. They're pointing at the Bible. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. If you ever go to central Germany or northeastern Germany, there's a statue of Martin Luther in, in every town. No matter how big or how, how small, there he is right in the center of town. You can always find the center of town by looking for the Martin Luther statue. And there he is standing there, bold, holding a book and pointing at it. Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. One of the things we, I was particularly looking forward to when we were in Germany is visiting Dietrich Bonhoeffer's house. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know who he is, he was a German pastor and martyr put to death during World War II for standing up to Hitler and the Nazis. He was put in prison and eventually by direct order of Adolf Hitler, he was put to death, essentially for his faith. And I wanted to visit his house. I wanted to see where he was arrested. And we made an appointment. We met an English-speaking student there. And we walked upstairs, and it was, a, it was an incredible experience, sitting there and looking at his library and sitting in, at his desk. But on the way there, we took a cab, and on the way there, it was a German cab driver who lived in Germany for many, many years, had no idea where Dietrich Bonhoeffer's house was or who he was. And we got lost. <laughs> we went all over the place. We eventually found it. And we pulled up. And Cindy, my 
wonderful wife, said, oh, thank God we're here, we've found it. And this German cab driver looked at her and said, I don't believe in God, but I am glad we're here. You know, if any of you are straight shooters in this crowd, that's another thing you would love about Germany. There is no small talk. You never have to wonder what a German thinks. It's good and bad. Just because we have statues of people pointing to Bibles doesn't mean anybody's reading them. And it's sad to go to places where people are pointing at Bibles and nobody's reading them. And how many don't care? Look, uh, well, let's make this real. In our community, just because we have the Ten Commandments hanging in courtrooms, just because we have the Ten Commandments around town doesn't mean anybody's reading them. Here's the challenge, and I, I, am, I am deliberately here now speaking to you if you're a Christian. Here's the challenge. Every generation Christian has to battle for the Bible and battle for the gospel. You can't just assume it based upon what your parents thought or their parents thought or their parents thought or your culture thinks. You've got to battle for it yourself. You've got to battle for it in your families. You've got to battle for it, sometimes even in your own churches. The Bible has to be central. It's God's Word. It's how He speaks to us. So, read the Bible, teach through the Bible, and then, what does the Bible do? Okay, so what? What does the Bible do? Verse 32, this wonderful passage. And did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? Burning hearts. Can we say that? Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? You've heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? I would guess that every single one of you can, can remember something that was said to you that either took your life or gave you life. Maybe it was a father or a mother or a friend or a co-worker. You remember. You remember. Uh, Cindy was visiting Harrison's classroom when he was, oh gosh, very, very young in Texas. And she remembers this story vividly. She'll remember it, I'm sure, the rest of her life. She walked in. And Harrison, Harrison takes after his dad. He has messy handwriting. You can't read it. I can't, my wife's an artist. I can't even write my name. And Harrison didn't just really care that he was being apathetic and he was writing his... And, and Mrs. Duffy walks up and says to Harrison, Harrison, your handwriting is so beautiful. And goes on to compliment him and the handwriting immediately changes in mid-sentence. God's Word changes things. 
God's Word is not, the Bible is not primarily data or information or history. It is the life-giving, soul-transforming revelation of a God who speaks. It's God's voice. It's God's speech. People have said, oh, I wish I could hear God's voice. Read the Bible out loud. That's God. That's God's Word. This is a God who speaks creation into existence. Let there be light. This is a God who speaks mankind, male and female, into existence and then says, be fruitful and multiply. The battle in the garden between the serpent and God is fundamentally, primarily, a war of words. You remember what the serpent says? Do you really believe God? Do you really believe that? Do you really think that He means what He says? a war of words. Did he actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? We all, no matter where you are in your uh, life as a Christian or not a Christian, if you're alive in the 21st century, we live, don't we? We live in the midst of a war of words. Words, 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 words coming from every direction at us. Um, yes, you listen to sermons on Sunday. You're listening to sermons every day. People coming at you and saying, do this, love this, go this way. Embrace this. Reject this. You're listening to sermons every day all week. And then you come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And you hear God's Word sung and read and preached and prayed. Isaiah 55, and this is God speaking. Listen to this. This is God speaking. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall be, so shall be my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return empty. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Did not our hearts burn within us when He talked to us on the road while He opened to us the Scriptures? The life-giving power. of God's Word. It changes people. It brings forth new life. It brings forth new growth. It is God speaking into our lives. So Jesus says, read the Bible. Jesus says, walk through the Bible. Study the Bible. And Jesus says, no. No that it will transform you and change you and grow you and it will be life-giving to you. It will be life-giving to you.
Finally, one more, one more thing. What makes all this possible? What makes reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, living the Bible, being transformed by the Bible possible? And it's right here in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? The town of Wittenberg, Germany is kind of a, it was then and it's still now kind of a one horse town. It's a very small town. It's a pretty place. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You know, you go, I'm going to go to this famous place and learn about this famous uh, reformer and this little bitty town with basically one main street. And at one end, you can stand in front of the door where the 95 theses were nailed. Pretty amazing. You can walk inside and you can stand and, you know, as somebody who's studied this stuff much of my life. It really was a wonderful experience standing in front of Martin Luther's grave and looking up at his pulpit. That's humbling. And you do all that. And then when you walk down to the other end of the road, the other end of the street, you see where Martin Luther lived. It's a, it's a large place. It was a former Augustinian monastery, and he lived there with his wife Katie and their kids. That's a wonderful story in itself. Luther was a former monk. She's a former nun. They got married, had kids, and a wonderful life. There's some really good books on, that, on their story. Uh, you can see where they lived, and then you can walk into the, the town church, the parish church, where Luther preached most of his sermons there in Wittenberg. Hundreds of sermons that he preached there. You can walk in there. But the most striking thing for me, walking in there, yes, it's a famous place and there are people going in and out, and this is where Martin Luther preached, but as you look up to the front of the sanctuary, there's a painting. And everybody that goes there, visits there, or goes to a worship service there can't miss it. And it's Martin Luther standing in a pulpit with the Bible open, with his left hand on the Bible, pointing. And he's pointing to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He's saying, from here, we learn about that. From here, that's explained. From here, that transforms lives. And now we know it. And it's, it's as though Luther wants to say, don't ever forget from God's Word what Jesus Christ has done for you. His life for yours. His life for sinners. His death in the place of sinners who deserve judgment, but now have the free grace of God and eternal life. Don't ever that, he's saying. Fix your eyes on Jesus on the cross. Don't forget that he conquered it, of course, that he raised from the dead, but don't ever forget the cross. 
The cross is the, Martin Luther once said, the cross is the starting point for understanding all of reality. That's where you start. And you learn about it from here. I'm going to close by uh, letting a couple of the reformers speak to you. Yeah, they're dead. They've been dead a long, long time. But their words live. Their words about the Word and about Christ live. A couple of quotes, and then we'll, we'll be finished. Martin Luther. For this purpose, he, Jesus, came down, was born, lived among us, suffered, was crucified, and died. He wanted us to fix the gaze of our hearts upon him and stop trying to climb up to heaven on our own. And John Calvin, the French reformer, John Calvin. Every good thing we can think of or desire is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. He was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made a curse for our blessing, a sin offering for our righteousness. He died for our lives. Wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, debt canceled, labor lightened, sadness made merry. In short, and here it is, mercy has swallowed up misery. Mercy has swallowed up misery. Christ lives in us. And this is what we should seek in the Scriptures to know Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We, we admit, we, we say, uh, we're, not, we're not in it like, like we should be, but help us to remember that Jesus tells these disciples, don't be foolish, Read your Bible. Don't be foolish. Read your Bible. And read it like this. Read it through. Teach it through. Preach it through. It tells the story of me. It points to me. It points to what I have done for you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot atone for your own uh, sin. Only I can do that. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross. I cling. And what Jesus Christ has done for me, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We pray all these things in His name. Amen.